Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Thank you, Jonathan. As I saw his smile, like all I could think of was the verse from Psalms that says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. It is good to be here together today. Great to be back in this space. Uh, it, was, it was special to have a season together in the gathering place, but it's good to be back. And I want to add my personal thanks to all those involved uh, with getting us moved twice this summer, once into the gathering place and then back in here and all that was involved with that. Uh, so I've got a quick quiz for you this morning. Uh, what, can you identify this picture for me? Next slide, please. What is this? What was that? Bonsai tree. I guess it was a giveaway. We had the title slide up there. There's a bonsai tree here. A little obvious. But yeah, so you look at that, you say, oh, it's a bonsai tree. But how, So how do you know? Small. So how do you know it's small? Because of the container, all right? And then I heard the shape. Anything else? The leaves, okay. Yeah. Somehow, uh, even though there's incredible variety within what we would call a, a bonsai tree, we usually know one when we see one. We can tell what it is. Now, certainly if we see one in person and we can get a sense of the scale, we say, oh yeah, look at that. That's a miniature tree. That's something created in the, in the bonsai tradition. But usually even from a picture, we can somehow get a sense that what we're looking at is a bonsai, this combination of horticulture and art. And it takes a lot of work to create a good example of a bonsai. Uh, and I'm going to read a little bit from a, a website devoted to growing bonsai trees. This is an art form that migrated from China to Japan about 1,200 years ago. Using a set of special techniques to grow dwarf trees in containers. The earliest, the earliest collected and then containerized trees are believed to have been peculiarly shaped and twisted specimens that were found in the wild. But then over the centuries, different regional styles were developed that reflected varied landscapes. Earthenware and ceramic containers replaced porcelain ones displayed on wooden stands. And then people would attempt to shape the trees with bamboo frameworks or brass wire or lead strips. A bonsai is distinct from other plants, mainly by virtue of its tree-like shape and appearance. It should have the common attributes of its bigger counterparts found in nature. And bonsai are differentiated from ordinary potted plants because they essentially look like full-grown trees on a miniature scale. And with this in mind, a bonsai tree should have the following five characteristics. It should have a tapering trunk, an abundance of branches reaching out in all directions, a good spread of roots emerging from the base at the level of the soil but disappearing into the soil gradually to convey stability and agedness. It should be a tree as natural looking as possible with reference to its uh, species and it should be in a pot which is in aesthetic and visual proportion to the tree. So five things, and maybe you didn't know you knew, but you see them all show up when you say, hey, that's a bonsai tree. Now this morning, you probably didn't come in here to say, to learn how to grow a bonsai, but it is the name of our sermon series. 
Uh, so it bears some explanation. Because I think this idea of a bonsai tree is something that, that demonstrates incredible variety within a specific set of principles or attributes is very helpful as we try to understand what does it mean that we are a covenant church? What does it mean that we are Bethany Covenant Church? A church that as part of this denomination is built around shared attributes that we call covenant affirmations. Now, if you were with us last week, we acknowledge that Bethany is first and foremost a church. We say the church part is actually more important than the covenant part because we name ourselves among those who are part of the universal church, tracing ourselves back to the time of Jesus and the apostles, to his teachings, to his person, to the truth of his resurrection, and to the teachings of the apostles. Our purpose as a church at its core has nothing to do with the fact that we are covenant, but that we seek to model our lives after Jesus and do the things that he taught us. And Bethany Covenant isn't just any church. We are a covenant church. And our denomination has its own history and distinctives within this larger story of the the universal church. The Evangelical Covenant Church of America was founded by Swedish immigrants during the second half of the 19th century. In many ways, this church, this fledgling fledgling church, represented a a transplant, a repotting of something that had begun to grow in Sweden. Within and in in response to the Lutheran State Church of Sweden, there were groups of Christians who had begun to emphasize a renewed focus on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in gathering together as a church that really made a difference in the world for the sake of God's kingdom. And these early covenanters called themselves mission friends. They rallied around shared goals of a dynamic sense of discipleship, a commitment to God's word and to acts of benevolence and justice. And they really enjoyed meeting together in each other's homes to pray and to study God's words. Something that interestingly, the state church didn't always uh, appreciate. And as the denomination began officially in the United States, those founders adopted written affirmations that would guide and focus their shared work and help shape their identity, keep them on track. The denomination formed as a non-creedal group, meaning that you didn't have to sign your name on a specific confession of faith to belong or be accepted into the church. Although, as I mentioned last week, this church did did affirm and does affirm the traditional creeds of the Christian church. But rather rather than requiring adherence to these creeds, the early covenanters drafted shared affirmations. And there are now six of these statements that guide the eight or 900 or so covenant churches across the United States. And our denominational president, Tammy Swanson Draheim, says this about these affirmations. The six covenant affirmations tie us together in wonderful tension and give us the framework for our common ministry. Our affirmations root us in our communal life together and enable us to wholeheartedly pursue God's mission while holding us to the essentials of our faith. Part of the beauty of our affirmations is their ability to help us have good conversations, even when we hold differing perspectives around viewpoints 
that can feel like hot button topics. I love that line, we're tied together in wonderful tension. And I confess that sometimes the tension doesn't feel so wonderful. As churches within the covenant denomination wrestle with what does it mean to stay true to who we are, to stay true to our affirmations and especially our rootedness in Christ, and to stay together, even when our denomination intentionally plants churches and nurtures churches with an incredible diversity uh, and a stunning variety among congregations, church communities that vary at least as widely as different bonsai trees. Now, as you hear these affirmations over our next six weeks together, you'll, you'll hear them and you'll say, well, that doesn't really sound like a church version of rocket science. There's not going to be anything that's shared that you'd say, oh my goodness, I never would have thought of that. In fact, what's distinct about these affirmations is that as a denomination, we choose to name these six and say, these are the six. We're going to focus solely on living into these uh, six elements of our shared faith and identity. So we focus only on the six, and we say, we're also committed to living out all six. And so there are times when we wrestle with what does, it do, what does it look like to do the hard work of fully living into one affirmation in a particular context when it might seem to be at odds with a different affirmation. And so living these out is not necessarily simple. Now the first covenant affirmation, I think you'll come to understand, is listed first on purpose. As a covenant church, we affirm the centrality of the word of God. Not just the truth, not just the importance, but the centrality. This is our bedrock. This is our foundation. We affirm God's word as central in our lives as individuals, as disciples of Jesus, but also corporately as a church, as a denomination. As covenanters, we acknowledge that the Bible isn't just a, a set of information, not just any book. It's not just a set of rules. It's not just a blueprint. But it's actually the powerful means of transformed lives as God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. God's word, we're told, is living. It's active able to do powerful, transformative work in our lives and to shape our life together as a church. Early covenanters were known to ask one another, where is it written? When matters came up that were difficult to sort through or, or disagreements arose, where is it written? What does God's word say? As people who ask, where is it written? We look to God's word as our guide and our authority. Last week, I described how we as a covenant church are an apostolic church, meaning we look back to the teachings of the apostles and of Jesus, and along with the apostles in the early church, affirm scripture as what we would call the only perfect rule for our faith, for our doctrine, what do we believe, and our conduct, how do we live our lives. As covenanters, we are a company of people who continue to look to God's word not occasionally, but regularly, and to choose to submit ourselves to authority, to its authority, even when we don't necessarily like what we find there. 
We look at God's word, we reflect on it, and we respond. We're founded on and grounded in the word of God, the Bible. We rely, on the, we rely as the church on the Holy Spirit to teach us God's word, to help us make sense of it, and, and then to give us the ability to live out the things we read there. And the apostles modeled and taught this intense focus on scripture as our guide and our foundation. The apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, in a letter saying, as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy here in this later just how essential it is that we remain steeped in the word of God. He says, those things that you've heard, that you've learned, you've seen in the scriptures, keep going back there. Keep revisiting them. Timothy was brought up learning the Hebrew scriptures, that set of texts that we would call the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, everything you learned there prepared you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But after I believe, Paul's saying there's so much more, Timothy. There's so much more growth. There's so much more shaping for your life through God's word. And there's so much more for us. There's so much more for us as we present ourselves to God through his word, bring ourselves up to the mirror of God's word, and allow ourselves to be, as Paul says, taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained so that we're ready for all that God intends in our lives and intends to accomplish through our lives. God has been speaking to people since he first made them, if we look at what the record shows in Scripture. God spoke to Adam and Eve. God spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham and to Sarah, to Jacob and Moses. God spoke through prophets that he sent to his people, prophets like Isaiah, whose message, message we heard read this morning. Through Isaiah, God declared, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word and the stories of God's people over time were written down, passed down from one generation to the next. They were read aloud as people gathered for worship and to be instructed by the word of God. These are the scriptures, the written scriptures that Timothy was taught from his infancy. The words that prepared Timothy and so many others, including us, to be ready to place our faith in Jesus Christ when he came as the word of God in flesh and blood. The Bible calls Jesus the word. It's the word logos in Greek, and it's, it means word, but it also means a sign the word of God, but a sign that Jesus is not only from God, but God himself. The apostle John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was not created, but was God from the beginning. And the Bible says that all things, in fact, were created through him. 
Jesus doesn't speak for God in the same way the prophets did, but he speaks as God. And in a very real sense, became the embodied speech of God when, as Eugene Peterson puts it, God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came in fulfillment of God's word, as we heard read from Matthew, but also to show us what perfect obedience to God's word looks like as we live our lives. I mentioned earlier that as covenanters, we cling to the centrality of God's word because we believe it's not a textbook, not just a set of instructions, but as the powerful means of transformed lives by the work of God's Holy Spirit. As God said through the prophet Isaiah, God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And so even as we place ourselves before scriptures and encounter God's word there, even as we see the model of Jesus presented in the gospels, we need God's Holy Spirit to help us make sense of what it is we're seeing and reading and hearing and experiencing. We need God's Spirit especially to have any hope of living differently, of coming away transformed because of our encounter with God's Word. Now in a few weeks, we'll focus specifically on our conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's one of our affirmations. But today we acknowledge that it is God's Spirit who illuminates God's Word so that we can understand it and live by it. This morning, I've invited Darren Volpe to come and uh, share a bit about the role and power of God's Word in his own life. So, Darren, welcome. I'll have you come take a seat up here. So, Darren, in case you're wondering why I asked you, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, gee... Like, who kind of demonstrates this idea of God's word being important? I thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit, how did you develop a passion for God's word, uh, and how does it shape your, your daily life? Yeah, so, well, thanks for inviting me. Um, so for me, I, I think it started in my late teenage years. I would go to church every week with my family, and I remember... In the church, I would look at the front, and there was a huge cross, and there was a sculpture of Jesus on the cross. And I remember I would look at that every week, and I would say, I, I would start to think to myself, um, you know, I know the words, you know, I know Christ has died, Christ has risen, he will come again. I know the words, um, Jesus died for my sins. But I would look at that cross, and I, would th I just remember thinking to myself, but I don't really, Why? I don't really understand why. Why was the sacrifice? What, I felt like I had a hollow sort of understanding of that. So uh, I would offer that up to God as, as, a, as a prayer, just a brief statement, really, not a formal prayer, but why did you go on the cross? And so then I felt like God really began to move in my life around that stage of my life. So in my senior year of high school, I uh, met a friend who was a very devout Christian and uh, whose life was really changed by God and, was, and, and really inspired me and directed me to uh, go to a, a Bible-teaching church, which I went to. And, and then through that, I, it was recommended that when I would go to college, they knew of a, a specific Christian group at that college campus that I was going to. So I went there. I was very nervous to go there, but uh, they gave me a Bible. And the leader of the group was, was speaking from one of Paul's letters and I just remember he was saying things in a very 
sort of natural, uh, straightforward way, teaching the Word of God. And I just remember at that moment, he was speaking about grace. And I, and I just remember at that moment, seeing it in the Bible, hearing him teach it in this very straightforward way, I, I just felt like something was really cleared for me. And, uh, and so ever since then, being part of that group, going to a church that was connected to it, there were constant Bible studies available, and I became very hungry and thirsty for understanding the Word of God. And my question of what was the cross about? Why? Why did Jesus have to die? It started to become more clear the more I would, the more I would study. So, and I started to see also a contrast of, you know, when I was living in the dorm and what I was seeing in the Word of God and the things that were going on there, and I saw such a stark contrast and... I uh, felt that God was giving me such peace through what I was seeing in, in, in his word. And then ultimately I went to another school in Philadelphia where I went to a church there where they basically Wednesday and Sundays, the sermons every week was just going through verse by verse in the, in the Bible. That was the, every, every week that's what it was. And so I just felt like I started to understand the context of, of things and, uh, and, and, to, and the word of God just became the foundation of my life. Uh, anytime I was going through very painful, difficult times, uh, I, could, I could depend on the word. If I saw things going on even in the church that were disturbing to me, that didn't change that this was the enduring word of God. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, one thing I really appreciate about you, Darren, is how you um, provide really tangible opportunities for us as a congregation to get into God's word, to dig into it. Um, tell us a bit about uh, Sunday morning and Wednesday opportunities this fall that we'll have to, to meet in, in classes and, and gatherings around God's Word. Yeah, sure. So um, on uh, Sunday morning, even starting last year, we were, I, I was going through each book of the Bible, spending between one and three weeks for each book, and just doing a summary. So sort of a, a bird's eye view, or somewhere between a bird's eye view and a plain 30,000-foot like, view of looking at the Bible, just to, again, to see everything in context from Genesis to Revelation, what is the message of God? And it all always leads to the cross and the resurrection still. I, that's still uh, where I've seen God uh, lead me. So uh, we would continue that on Sunday mornings where we go through. And on Wednesday, uh, uh, Wednesday evenings at 6.30 for the past nine years, we've been doing a verse-by-verse -verse study, which is more like on the ground level. Uh, sort of like on, being on a hike where you can see the details of things and understand the depth of things. So yeah, so we're, we're in, uh, we started in Genesis, we're in Romans now after nine years, and uh, uh, yeah, maybe in 12 years or so we'll get through to Revelation. Uh, you know. that's so, great, so that's yeah. what we're offering on Sunday morning and then Wednesday, okay, and then yeah. uh, there'll be the opportunity also for the covenant affirmations that you'll be teaching mm -hmm. uh, yeah, in more detail after the yeah. sermons, I understand. Stay tuned for more about that, but okay. thank you. And yeah. I want to let, to let you know too, uh, Darren has served faithfully as the leader of our adult formation ministry team for a number of years. Uh, he's stepping down now, continuing in his teaching role, so, uh, but thank you for serving so faithfully. Would you join me in thanking him? <laughs> Thanks, Darren, for uh, sharing a bit of your story with us. I think about this claim, this affirmation, that we affirm the centrality of the Word of God. And I realize that it's a statement, and like any other statement, we might say it, 
uh, and still not do it. It could be something that we pay lip service to. We say, yeah, this is important, but we all know, I think, that our real priorities actually show up and are revealed in our actions, in our daily choices. We don't want to be a church that says God's word is important, but then doesn't pay attention to it. And so I'm so thankful for opportunities like Sunday mornings and our formation classes and Wednesday nights. Other times we choose to look again into the word of God. When we need answers in life, we know there are a lot of places we could go to find them. And we choose as covenanters to go to God's word. When we try to figure out, well, how does my life, how's my life supposed to work? How do I honor God? How do I find fulfillment? Again, we could find those answers in a lot of places and we choose to look in God's word. And so my prayer is that God would actually strengthen our commitment to be people of the word of God. Pray that God's spirit would continually lead us back, prompting us back to the written word of God and into the presence of God in flesh, Jesus Christ himself. I pray that our life together would be grounded literally on nothing less and nothing else. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, thank you for your word. God, it says in the Psalms that your word is like a lamp for our feet, like a light for our path, so we're not stumbling around, but we actually see by the light of Scripture the way that you intend us to live, the good life, a life that brings joy and that brings honor to you. Jesus, thank you for coming as the word in flesh and blood. Holy Spirit, would you root us in the scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ. Make us people of the living word and keep us faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And as we continue in prayer and also continue in our focus on just how important God's word is, I wanna ask uh, if, if you are someone who will be involved uh, in the year ahead, in teaching God's word in any way. So whether it's in our Sunday school classes uh, for kids or for adults, whether it's our youth program, whether it's leading a connect group, if you're involved in, uh, if you'll be involved in teaching God's word, uh, would you stand so that I might have the opportunity to pray for you today? And you can use that definition as, gen as generously as you decide because we teach in many, many different ways. Let me pray. Loving God, again, we thank you for your word and we thank you for those among us who teach and who lead, not because they are perfect, but because they are fellow pilgrims, fellow disciples who themselves seek to follow your word. God, would you bless opportunities that we will have, particularly in the school year ahead, to be intentional about being in your word, to be learning from it, and learning not just the knowledge, but to be transformed so that our lives are different and we more faithfully live it out. God, bless these who teach, bless the conversations ahead, 
whether it's in a classroom setting, a conversation around a living room, God, whether it's uh, an email conversation or a phone call as we discuss your word daily. God, I pray for your spirit's work among these teachers and among all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.